John H. Wimmer was a young man on an Indiana farm when he got drafted in 1940. He stayed in the Army through World War II till 1946, spending most of those years in the South Pacific. His son, also named John, John R. Wimmer, did not hear too many of his father's war stories, and he had always assumed it was because his father had had sort of a cushy job. He was in a stage band, the Army's, one of, one of their stage bands, but he thought, well, you know, he was there with Errol Flynn and Bob Hope and Dinah Shore, and so he just didn't say much about it. Well, after the young John's father died, the family found his journal, and they learned a lot more, that there had been a lot more stories than than the father had ever told. His life had not been as sheltered as the family had thought, and on dozens of five-by-eight writing tablets, John's dad had written of unremitting terror and a longing for home. John writes, when he was not playing in the band, he was in or near combat, tending to the wounded as a stretcher bearer or enduring nauseating hours in the lower decks of a cramped and noisome transport ship. No matter where he happened to be, even in jungle clearings where they entertained troops, carnage, destruction, and fear were constants. He never got over the jarring disparity between war and home. I think that's a gap that Christians struggle with as well, the jarring disparity between war and home. People who have encountered in a powerful way Jesus Christ know that we find with him a sense of a healthy home where there is stability and love and pure acceptance. And at the same time, this life sometimes feels like a war where we fight battles every day, not with weapons like the swords and spears of Isaiah or the guns and tanks of Iraq, but with people we love. We fight with ourselves. We fight with our society that seems to be spinning out of control. In today's gospel passage, Jesus compares his generation to those who were living in the days of Noah. It wasn't so much that he's talking about the wickedness that we also read about in Genesis, but it's that they didn't care. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, but they cared not about the future. Apathy. Lethargy. You can't make this story work for Baptists because while there are liturgical Baptist churches, there, are, there is no Baptist liturgy. But two boys in a neighborhood were talking, and one said to the other, your family's been going to a lot of different churches in town. Which one did they choose to attend? 
And my, the other responded, my mom likes the Episcopal lethargy best. My mom likes the Epip- Episcopal lethargy best. Lethargy. Apathy. Thank you, choir. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. It's that feeling of, you know, que sera, sera. What will be, will be. Let them do what they want. I'm going to do what I want. They can just, you know, worry about themselves. Maybe you read in the paper this week that Carnegie Mellon University has a tradition of asking their professors to think about a hypothetical final lecture. In other words, what is most important to you, and therefore, what would that lecture be to your students? Well, um, a Carnegie Mellon professor returned to the University of Virginia, where he had taught for 10 years, to present one of these last lectures. Except for him, it had an irony and a poignancy that it didn't have for the others because Pausch has been diagnosed, Randy Pausch has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and has been given about three to six months of good health. And so this idea of a final lecture really meant something to him deeply. Well, he titled his lecture Time Management. And he said, time is all we have And one day you may find that you have less than you think. He had a suggestion. Apparently he had lots of practical suggestions. I wish I had heard all of them. But one was that when we are overwhelmed by tasks, Pausch suggested that we create a comprehensive to-do list and rank it by priority. And then break down each task into manageable steps. And always start with the job you want to do least. His was an Advent message. Think toward the future. Act in the present. This is what Jesus tells us. He tells us we're not going to know when the end time or this final triumphant, this cosmic victory is going to happen. There's no way we can know. You can see two people out in a field and one will be taken and one will be left. And we're not going to know. We're not going to be able to tell which is which. Jesus and his cohorts were expecting this. And expecting it soon, this cosmic victory where, like a romantic comedy perhaps, the good guys win, the right people end up together, and everything ties up neatly in the end. They were waiting with expectation. We're still waiting. We're still waiting as if for peace at the end of a war. Not knowing how it will end or when it will end, but knowing that it must. And so we go about the challenges of our daily lives while we watch and wait. 
Now, Matthew, the gospel writer, sort of plays with our minds here. He tells us that we can't predict when this end time will come, so watching for it won't help. And yet he also tells us that we are to be alert because Jesus will intrude into our lives like a thief coming in the darkness. As a girl, Jane Goodall desperately wanted to go to Africa. She got secretarial training, thinking, well, maybe that would help somewhere along the way, or at least get me by until I can achieve my dream. She was delighted then when a childhood friend invited her to stay with her family in Kenya in the late 1950s. While there, she happened to meet paleontologist Louis Leakey, became his secretary. And in her, Leakey saw the qualities for which he was looking for a project he had in mind. Now, when you think of Jane Goodall, some of you who recognize the name, what kind of animal do you think of? Apes, gorillas. The first one for her was chimpanzees. Her dream job became observing chimpanzees. She knew about scientists who would, you know, do autopsies on animals and learn about them that way, or even kill the animals and learn about them that way, but that's not what she wanted to do. She wanted to see them living and, and see how close to humans they were, and she angered a lot of people because she found out that chimpanzees are a lot more like humans than we'd like to think. They show affection to each other. They modified a twig by taking the leaves off and used it to dig into the termite mound or put it into a hole in termite mound and the termites would climb up on the twig and then there was a snack. Mm. But when Goodall first arrived at this place called Gombe, she was an intruder. The chimps ran away from her. But when she didn't harm them and she didn't even move, they started learning to accept this white ape, as she called herself. And she started naming the chimps. That she, as she began to recognize them, one of them she named David Graybeard. And she describes in her book how one time she followed him. And he seemed to be okay with that. He, he had already made, um, shown evidence that he was willing to have her around. And so she followed him to this place and he let her get close enough to him so that she could pick up a piece of fruit on the ground and she held it out in her hand and David Graybeard, a chimp, took it from her hand and then he dropped it on the ground and then he reached out his hand again and touched hers and gazed at her as if to say, You don't need to give me anything. We can just be friends. Isn't that love? At first, 
It may seem that like Jane Goodall did into the culture of the chimps, that Jesus intrudes into our lives. He may bring boundaries we don't want or challenges that we want to avoid or a a lifestyle that is less selfish than we really want to be. And so we try to keep him at a distance. We perhaps run away or only encounter him once a week with our dose of guilt and relief at 11 a.m. on Sunday. And then we go back to our lethargy and apathy about the way he could intrude into our lives and actually make them better and more interesting. Missionaries seem like intruders at times, intruding on a culture, a heritage, a way of life that has seemed to work fine for generations. And yet, sensitive missionaries will only add to those identities the power and meaning of the presence of Jesus Christ. The life of a woman named Geothi was changed by this powerful presence 